0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to talk to you this evening about building your altar now. Building your altar now. It's time to take church home with us if we're not already doing it, if we're not already making it a practice We've got to get into the practice of making sure that it's not just at our church that we find our altar. And I want to encourage Christians today and and those that hopefully hear this message, we've got to get about to the business of building an altar. Everywhere significant things happen in scripture with the, the forefathers of scripture and faith, God did awesome things, they erected an altar. We're living in a time right now where we need to be spending some time daily, daily at an altar to God on behalf of the things that I just said and of course the world around us. The word altar in scripture means a place of slaughter. I'm just gonna teach a little bit tonight, okay? So just grab your pen and paper if you want to or just keep your Bible open in Genesis uh, chapter 12. I'm just gonna teach a little bit, just some, something I felt God wanted me to share with you. The word altar and sacrifice, where blood was shed and death took place. Well, that's not very pleasant, is it? But truly, in today's terms, in today's ideology, in today's uh, 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 symbolism, the altar represents purely and simply worship. When those altars were erected by the scriptural forefathers, by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Gideon and and so on down the line, they were erecting an altar, a memorial to God in worship. Now, a lot of us go about our day and we talk to God and we think about God and we worship God, we put Christian music on. Uh, Something good happens to us. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing that for me, Lord. And then we tell our friend, hey, by by the way, my prayer got answered today. That is awesome. And we gotta walk in the Spirit and continue to remember God, but there's just something powerful, there's just something meaningful, there's something significant in our personal growth, in our walk, and in the direction that we're going with God that comes from having an altar in our lives at every aspect, especially in our homes. So I looked at, for example, my, one of my favorite examples of a man who erected altars. Anybody in here know how many altars... At least scripturally reported that Abraham built. Brother Frazier, come on. I thought for sure his hand was going to go up, right? Abraham built four significant altars. Four very significant altars. And it's important to understand that each one of those altars. Represented a phase or a place or a moment or, a, or a, a, a milestone, if you will, in Abraham's walk with God and his relationship with God. And it's actually a model to us, if you didn't know this, it's a model to us in terms of our growth and our maturity and our steps with God. And each, one, each time he hit one of those milestone moments, those incredible moments, and we're going to talk about them in just a second, he erected an altar, he created an altar, he placed it and he worshiped God. In that place. And that altar became the springboard or the next step or the thing that sort of, if you will, hurled him into the next direction and the next place that God had for him that was significant in his walk. And of course, you know the life of Abraham and you know how significant his walk truly was in the promises that God gave him. He was the seed of all, he was the father, he was Father Abraham. He was promised all of the land, he was promised that his seed would rule. Of course, we know that Jesus himself came from that line right so let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and I'm going to read a little quickly so you can go back later and check it but I don't want to keep you here all night Altars at the time, before I go, had to be, by the way, had to be very unpretentious. They couldn't be ordained and ornamental. They were instructed oftentimes not to put, not to put a knife to them or a, uh, don't carve them up, don't chisel them. God wanted something that didn't put the emphasis on man's ability to make beautiful altars. God wanted the emphasis to be put on the fact that you're communing with God. He wanted that focus on him, and he marked them to to say don't do anything as far as carving them up or chiseling or beautifying them. He just simply wanted them to seek him, amen? It's about daily communion with God. And I said earlier before when I started that an altar literally in scripture means a place of slaughter and sacrifice and bloodshedding. So, if that daily communion is important to God, it's clear to me that each altar that you have in your life represents your acknowledgement of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see the tie there? It was symbolic in the Old Testament, very real and true and visible as we read the life and death of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1, says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee, he wasn't Abraham yet. He said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. He didn't even tell him. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I want you to understand that now, of course, in your relationship with God and finding God, God has certainly not made you the father or the mother of all the nations to come. He didn't establish you to multiply the the family of Israel. But I'll tell you what, he did establish us to multiply ourselves in the message of God, to seek and to save that which is lost. We are to multiply, we're to be fruitful and multiply. So this blessing that God pronounces on Abraham in 12 and 1 is really your blessing as well. He said, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. He's going into a place that he knows is full of hostiles, cruel, mean, nasty people. He's leaving everything he's ever known and he's venturing into a territory he is not familiar with. How many know that when you sign on with the Lord God, suddenly the world that was so kind to you, the world that was so in line with the way that you were behaving, the people at the bar, the people at work that did the things that they wanted you to do, how many know and understand that when you make that departure, suddenly they can be a little bit cruel. Life can be a little bit challenging. Sojourning with Jesus Christ in the land that he's dedicated for us is a little bit tougher. It's a tough road to hoe. And we walk into a land and Jesus said it, he promised it, he said, you're gonna be hated for my sake. You're gonna see these challenges. You're gonna be faced with this. And Abraham knew he was walking into a land with cruel and nasty people. Verse six says, and Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim and under the plain of Morah and the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abraham has now been displaced. He's living a completely new life. He's heading into territory unknown, except that he knows that the people there are going to be cruel and difficult and challenging. He puts up an altar to God. God promises him an incredible Incredible promise. He's 75 years old. And God calls him into this and says, Your seed is going to flourish. And whoever you bless, I'm going to bless them. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse them. There's protection, there's providence, there's there's direction and a great promise that you're going to be fruitful. You see, God gave us that same promise. When you found your way to an altar, your altar. And the blood of of that old person that you were was shed as you sacrificed in repentance and you killed that old man or that old woman. God's saying to you, I know you're heading into a strange land. I'm going to take you into some tough places, I'm going to make you blessed. You're going to duplicate, multiply, but you're going to be in a land full of some bad people. You see, it's simply just reflected in the message that Jesus gave, gave us later on when he said that you're going to suffer for my name's sake. You're going to be hated for who I am. But Abraham knew enough to worship God, and he erected an altar immediately. In Genesis chapter 12, you can read it 8 through 13. I'm only going to read verse 8. Abraham erects another altar, it says, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. Hai was a disaster, it was a dump, it was a ruined city. Bethel was the house of God. And here Abraham is between the two of these places. He's journeying out of this mess, out of that old life, and he's heading to the house of God. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, when the Bible says they called on the name of the Lord, he worshiped. He was worshiping God. See, he just kept up and going. He kept moving. He kept taking new steps. These were places of growth for Abraham. Remember I said, every altar is marked by that next strategic milestone in his life in yours as well. So he removes from the lowlands the plain there and he goes up to the mountain and and, and he's, he's heading up into a higher place. Okay, now it's gonna get barren. It's gonna get quiet. He's taking it to a higher place. You understand that next step For you and I was to take our step of faith, stronger faith, closer to God. Hopefully, we're wanting to continue to keep planting our feet on higher ground. Amen. Essentially, Abram's example was where there's a tent, wherever he placed his tent, he erected an altar. Folks, where there's your tent, where there's your home, there should be an altar. Abraham built that second altar, and this time it was an altar of prayer. Well, as we go forward with Abraham, we read that he went down to Egypt, and you'll read that in that passage if you go back and read uh, 8 through 13, um, and then on into verses uh, 20. He says, To escape the famine, of course, they knew the famine was coming. Uh, And then he he comes into this situation Where he's coming into Egypt And he he does something very, very selfish And something, today's terminology would be very offensive And that is, he looks at his beautiful wife Sarai And he says, man, if we go into Egypt And they think you're my wife There's going to be trouble And uh, it could be bad for me So, he says, you've got to pretend that you're my sister He lies, He, he creates a foundation of a lie Well, he moves on. You guys know, I'll know the story. I'm just kind of laying a few of the high points just to bring it to memory. Uh, but he, he goes on into Egypt, uh, and this whole thing then is now based on fear and, and a false presentation and essentially failure. And I believe in my, my reading and my understanding, if you go back into Egypt, folks, There's no good there. Egypt is the life that God let us out of. And if you've got to step back into Egypt, if you're going in there and you've got to do it based on some false premise, well, I'm just going to go, I'm just hanging out with my friends. Well, I knew them. You understand what I'm saying? It's a warning to us. He had to create a false narrative in order to justify going back into Egypt and it did not work out well for him. Why didn't he have faith in God that God would protect he and Sarai? Little flesh moment there, and we all go through it. And we all shudder in our faith sometimes and we lie on ourselves, on our own intellect. But God in his merciful state and in his providence for Abraham excused it and forgave him. Boy, is that a good story. No matter what, he had a promise on Abraham's life, and I hope we understand that, that regardless of our failures, as long as we get back up and we get back on the horse, we get to our altar, God, you know what, I screwed up. God's gonna say, your promise is still intact. It's still there. I still have that promise for you. But we gotta get to that altar, and we gotta get back up and propel to the next place, that next place of growth. Of course, we know that uh, this was all discovered by Pharaoh, And he was pretty upset with Abraham and said, get out. (laughs) He pitched him out of there, and they were departed uh, from Egypt. And uh, he got back out of there, uh, went back to Bethel, house of God. Amen? You guys are all following this symbolism, aren't you? He went back to Bethel, the house of God. He pitched his tent, and again, he built that altar. Amen? Amen? Sometimes we got to return to the point where we made our mistake. Sometimes we got to go back to that place. He shouldn't have left Bethel. He shouldn't have been tempted to go into Egypt. He should have had faith that God would have provided during the time of famine. Folks, I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what you're dealing with, what the situation is, how dire it is. We should never, ever, ever look at Egypt as our salvation we're living in a country right now that's being trained and taught and told to look at the federal government as your God. You understand? They're providing everything. They want to provide all our education, they want to provide all of our food, they want to provide stimulus checks, they want to provide you your job. And if we look to Egypt as our salvation, and there's a lot of people that are doing it right now, we're in big time trouble. Hold on to your faith, no matter how dire the situation is, no matter how grim it looks, no matter how hard it is. If God truly gave you that promise, and if you're here today, he did. He applied a promise on your life, and he is not going to leave you, and he's not gonna forsake you. And we can't make the mistake of Abraham to say, oh, there's famine coming, we better get out there, and well, you know what, Egypt's got the solution. Egypt does not have the solution. God's got the solution. Amen? Amen. If you turn to Genesis chapter 13, we go on to that next altar, that next place in Abraham's life. It says in Genesis 13, starting at verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Now, at this point, what had happened is is that he was traveling with Lot. And again, I know you guys know the story, so I'm kind of skipping a little bit through this. But he was traveling with Lot. And if you remember what happened, they had so much. When he was leaving Egypt, both of them were leaving Egypt, they were very, very wealthy. And they had massive flocks. Well, what started happening is they were bumping into one another. Familiarity was breeding a little contempt between this uncle and nephew. And suddenly the people started kind of scrapping with one another, and there became a division that was there. Folks, it was necessary. It was necessary for the two parties to depart. It was just part of the process, it was just something that had to happen. They were conflicting with one another, they weren't getting along too well. For whatever reason, the Bible doesn't explain what the conflict was, but we know familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. Sometimes people get restless. Sometimes they just don't like the look of the shepherd that's walking along the side of them. It doesn't matter what the reason. What matters is, is Abraham's attitude at the time was to say, hey, listen, Lot, you know what? I'm going to give you first pick. I'm going to give you the opportunity in a position of humility Abraham just said, hey, you know what? I've got this promise of God on me. I've got all this great stuff. Look what God's done. I've built a couple of altars already because it's been so good. So Lot, you go ahead and pick the way you want to go. And of course, what Lot does, he picks the choicest spot he can. He went right after it. Okay. But I believe that because Abraham's humility and because of his willingness To allow that to happen, to give that over to Lot, God blessed him all the more and actually sent him in the better direction. Verse 17 says, Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Because after he humbled himself, after he offered first choice to his nephew and went on to that journey, then is when God said, I'm gonna just multiply your seed forever. I'm gonna make the seed as the dust of the earth and so on. I'm gonna make you the father of many. See, Abraham didn't want there to be strife. He didn't want there to be any problems between the two of them. He loved Lot. He cared for Lot. And it just did not look like it was gonna work. And he said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, for we are brethren. And that's okay. And it was honorable. So they, as I said, they separated. Abraham moved to um, this Mamre, and it's uh, Mamre or Mamre, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Literally in the Hebrew means vigor or strength. In Hebron, which is the, the the larger territory, which means fellowship, he was now separated completely from Egypt. He got out; he was free from all the strife and everything that was going on between the two flocks, and he was enjoying total security. And then again, he understood that God had him in His hand, and he built that altar. So when you go through your challenges, when you go through your struggles, you're gonna bump into one another. You're gonna have your challenges, whether it be family or somebody in church or, or uh, coworkers or whatever the case may be. You may have that strife period, but man, be an Abraham. Be an Abraham that says, hey, you know what? I'm gonna secede that territory to you because God's got something for me also and I know he's gonna take care of me. Now, so Abraham, Abraham's faith is now just built to a phenomenal place from when he first started and he built that first altar. If we go on to Genesis chapter 22, I'm not gonna read it for sake of time because I've got a little bit more to talk about. The fourth altar that he builds is the altar of provision. This last altar, by the way, was the altar of peace. He established peace, and I'm gonna summarize these for you just in a second before I move on. But he, he established an altar of peace because he made peace with his brethren and he relied on God for faith. The fourth altar is absolutely the most important of all. As Abraham was building this altar in Genesis 22 on Mount Moriah, you know the story. God had spoken to him. He had a wonderful son, that great son Isaac. God spoke to him and said, take him up to Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice your son. (laughs) My goodness, many of us have heard this story and have all thought to ourselves, good Lord, how in the world could we ever bring ourselves to say come on son god says i got to sacrifice you today the ultimate test the ultimate challenge abraham had already been through so much he'd promised so much think about this god's promising him in these previous passages in these previous discussions he's having with him you're going to be the father of many nations and in one fell swoop so i'm going to go ahead and kill that seed i promised you cuz isaac's just the beginning of course right We know Isaac's son Jacob becomes Israel and the 12 tribes and so on. So think of the irony and the dichotomy. What are you doing, God? You just said, I'm going to be the father of many nations, and now you're going to kill the very product of what you you promised me? How many of us have lived through these moments of just irony and strange happenings of the things that come our way? And you think, God, what are you doing? You, you totally could have taken this out of my way. You totally could have solved this situation at any point in any time. And the answer is really simple. He wants to know that he's still number one and he's your God. Amen? So he takes Isaac up to the top of the hill of Moriah, top of the mountain. And he just had to be determined that God had to have Isaac. He I don't know how he did it. I don't know. I can't even fathom the idea, but he just determined, oh, well, God needs Isaac. I'm going to go kill him. And even though he was that promise, that seed promise, he still raised the knife. The Bible says that he took the sacrificial knife out and it was up in the air. I mean, he had already gone to the place. It was only one more motion and Isaac's gone. And then the Lord stops him and provides the ram in the thicket. Amen. I wonder if at that time because of Abraham's understanding and knowledge of God's power if he really recognized thinking to himself hey you know what maybe if I kill, if I kill Isaac right now God will raise him back up You know, he'll, he'll bring him back from the dead he's God almighty maybe that was in his mind maybe that's where his thought process was going but I want to know what Isaac was thinking <laughs> okay dad ready to go He was bound hand and foot, laying on the stone. Well, clearly, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and there was that whole story. But what was thought to be a a moment of death and despair, I imagine Abraham was probably thinking to himself, when this is over, it's going to hurt so bad. I have to kill him, and I know I'm doing God's will. I have to kill him this most precious thing in my life, and this is really gonna hurt. And I would have to think that it's going through his mind. What is he gonna do? Is he gonna fall to his knees and weep bitterly? God, please raise my son back up. I gave him to you. Is he is he gonna go build an altar? Am, I, am I, Do I gotta go build another altar? Is that gonna do it for God? What in the world is gonna get me through this process? I've been in that place. I sat where my wife was sitting, saying, God, please don't take... My only daughter, my precious daughter, please don't do it. I can't live through it. I can't do it. I know you can, you can save her from this thing. And to hear nothing, total dead silence for an hour. And I got up from that chair and I just said, okay, God, it's in your hands. Just weeping all the way down the aisle. And about halfway down, just past Sister Tan, I heard that still, small voice. She's going to be okay. She's in my hands. Mm. I have to feel the triumph that I felt in that moment had to be what Abraham was feeling when that hand froze and that voice came and said, Stop, I've provided for you. And the ram is in the thicket. I know what Abraham was feeling in his heart when my daughter raised up that cell phone in my family room and said, it's okay, dad, they just called, it's benign. I know the triumph that Abraham felt when that ram was standing there in front of him, stuck in the thicket. Gosh, Abraham was pushed to the limit in that faith. I know it, I know I was. I felt like I was getting close to a breaking point. But once again, God provided the sacrifice. He provided the answer. See, it was already, it's already been said and it's already been understood. God didn't want Isaac. I think everybody in this room understands that. He did not want Isaac, even though, God, even though Abraham himself thought that was what it was. He said, if God wants Isaac, he can have him. He didn't want Isaac, he wanted Abraham's heart. That's what he wanted. And so I could have stood here and thrown a fit. I sat here for well over an hour praying, weeping, crying, asking God to save my daughter. I heard nothing. God, please talk to me. Please speak to me. Tell me what you're going to do. You got to give me something. I stood up. I was so dejected. I could have said, forget you, God. That's it. I'm out of here. I'm tired of this. You know, I could have been angry, shaking my fist at him, but I just said, God, it's in your hands. That's all I knew to do. But I knew enough to know what Abraham knew, That was not to curse God. That was not to turn on Him. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have to figure out how to live through this if we lose her. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be painful. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. But God heard my voice. And He provided. The reason I'm talking about altars tonight is because we've got to build an altar we need altars in our homes like never before. And it occurred to me as I was praying and God was speaking to me at altars, I have a small altar in my home, if you wanna call it that. And I thought to myself, I wonder, first of all, the first thought I was praying and talking to God about was this altar right here. The conversation came up recently, we were talking about folks that, are folks not coming down to the altar when we open it because is it a COVID thing? or you know you just have sometimes those folks, maybe some in here just aren't altar dwellers. I'm not picking on anybody so I'm not pointing anybody out. But I I wonder, it, it perplexes me that when we have an altar call in our church that people will just stay in their seats and sometimes they just get up and walk out. And I'm not attacking anybody. They have their reasons, they have their purposes. But I think to myself, what are you missing? What am I missing that I don't understand why when you have a church service, you're on your Sunday morning or your, even your Wednesday night and the pastor opens the altar and your attitude is kind of, hmm, if that's what it is. It boggles my mind. I was raised in this thing. And man, when pastor opens the altar, you get down there because amazing, incredible things happen at this altar. Wonderful things. Have I, I relayed a message this morning. I was talking to the to the staff this morning and I said, I was talking about the message a little bit and I said, I remember coming in here, sitting back over here where Sister Danielle is, on a Wednesday night. Dwight Davis was preaching. Oh, I was in a bad mood, I had a terrible day. I did not want to come to church. I was dragging my feet, even walking in here, I was just kind of, I just didn't want to be here. I, I don't even remember what the situation was, but I just, I just, oh, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole somewhere and not talk to anybody. I do not want to be bothered, just awful. And I don't remember what he preached that night, but he opened the altar and as begrudgingly as it may have been, I was trained that God is at this altar. And so I made, what, this is the old, you know, the old altar, of course, back to the old church before we built, but I was down in here somewhere, and I don't know what in the world happened or what God had going on for me that day, but the power of God fell on me at that altar as I buried my head in the step, and I just wept and worshiped and prayed in the spirit. Something powerful came over me. Dwight Davis came over to me and he said, Brother Cordell, he said, God has just moved in your life. There is a call for you to hear and for you to attend to. And for many months after that, we would meet and have coffee and talk. In the worst possible scenario, but I knew to get to the altar. I knew that at least the altar is where it had to be. It wasn't God's fault that I had a bad day. It wasn't God's fault that I wasn't feeling good. But I relayed that now to the idea of having an altar in our homes and why it's so important. When we recently remodeled our kitchen, we did a few things in there. We were able to move a window from one wall to the other. And we, in this little corner in our, what was our, what was our living room before, they put this window in. And, and my wife took our old kitchen table it was old ugly oak thing and she she sanded it all down she did a beautiful job sanded it all down stained it a nice dark on top and then did distressed chalk paint is that one yeah chalk painted and it looks really cool it's like modern it matches our kitchen and we took the leaf out of it made a little square and i pushed it over into that corner by that window and i said that's my altar That's where I wanna spend my mornings and my devotions with God. My Bible, my special study Bible that the church gave me for installation sits there, keeps my place in my reading. I'll sit down there, that's where I pray, that's where I talk to the Lord and then I begin my, my reading and my devotion time, get a cup of coffee and sit there and talk to the Lord and read the Bible and I have some wonderful, wonderful times of prayer in the morning with God. That's my altar, that's my place and I started thinking, Maybe some people just don't know the concept or, or maybe they just haven't really thought it through or their, their lives are so busy they don't. But folks, I gotta tell you, you've heard what Abraham went through. There's so many more stories, by the way, of Jacob built an altar and Gideon built an altar and, and Isaiah built altars. I mean, building an altar is so critically important. Having that, that lifestyle, if you don't have one in your home, Find a place. You know, you don't have to put up a stone monument and put candles on it and have, you know, the Virgin Mary and all, you know, it doesn't have to be an ornate. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't make it ornate. I wouldn't, like the Bible said, don't put a chisel stone to it. Don't create some fabulous thing. We've got a beautiful table, but... We use it for other stuff, too, so. (laughs) But the point is, is make it a special place for you. Make it a place where you know that each day I'll take a moment, even if it's at the beginning, just a moment or two, that you sit down and say, okay, God, this is my special place, and here's why. I wanna talk about a couple reasons why. And it was so wonderful when God took me into this study, and I started to realize these are things I didn't even know, and I have an altar in my home. It says in Genesis chapter 28, you don't have to go there, but you can check it out. You know the story. Uh, in, in verses 10 through 17, Jacob is fleeing in the wilderness uh, from his brothers. If you remember, or excuse me, his brother. Uh, if you remember, Jacob and Esau are, are at odds with one another, the, this, the stealing of the birthright and so on. You know all that stuff, so I won't get into it. But the point was is that Jacob comes to a place in the wilderness and he finds a place to rest. Well, apparently this was a really special place to God because God begins to speak to Jacob while he's sleeping and he gives him in that dream, he speaks to him and he gives him in that dream the vision of a ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder when we were kids? We used to do the thing with the yarn. It was called Jacob's ladder. You remember that? You tie it on your fingers and you twist it around. Anyway, he gives them this dream of the angels going up and down from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. In other words, God's way of ministering, this pathway, this highway of God's ministers coming down. The point of that whole thing, folks, is when you have a dedicated place in your home and in your life that's dedicated to your moment, your private moment with God to dedicate with him, God opens a portal, a window of heaven above that place. And when you sit down and say, God, this is my dedicated place, I'm going to read your word I'm going to pray with you today God God opens something up and I'm telling you the angels begin to minister to that place that's how special having an altar in your home can really be I'm convinced of it I've sat there and God has spoken to me in my morning devotions at my altar God has given me special times God's given me words God's given me messages to share with you it is a special place when you dedicate it to God And we know the story then that Jacob awakes and he says, holy cow, man, this place must be special to God. I'm gonna do what? I'm gonna build an altar. He takes the stone that he laid his head on, he pours oil over it, and he dedicates that place, and what does he call it? Bethel, the house of God. It's so critically important that, that we have that special place, a quiet place, separate from, from everybody else. Get away from uh, 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 all the nonsense. Don't grab your phone in the morning. Go sit there and read through social media and news feeds. Don't, don't worry about what's going on with other things, but have that dedicated, special time. And that's my next point. Having a dedicated altar in a quiet place feeds our spirit's need for peace and solitude. You know, we, we thrive that. A lot of us don't even know it anymore. Our lives are so full of chaotic nonsense and noise and activity and racket and phone calls and emails and text messages. My daughter, who's a, who's a PhD candidate in psychology, told me that when, when every time we turn on that thing and flip over for a text message or we, we flip over and a slide for a Facebook, endorphins are released and, our bodies and we get a little bit of a high off of that thing, that new piece of information or that new text message. That's why it's addictive because it's feeding us something. We got to get away from that stuff and have that special, quiet, dedicated time. You may not realize it, but your spirit, God built in you, in your nature and in your body and your spirit, a powerful desire for solitude and peace with him. And I don't have the time to go through examples in Scripture in the Bible. I could show you so many places, but I'm going to share a couple here in just a moment. But it's really critical. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Gospel of Mark, particularly in Mark, I find myself, uh, you don't have to go there. Again, I'm I'm going through expediency. But in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus was always taking his disciples into deserted places to be alone with them or going into deserted places or going up in the mountain or going in the garden to spend all night with God in prayer. He was constantly finding places of solitude and peace so that it was just him and God. Man, if it's right for Jesus, it's got to be right for us. Amen? How many of you have lives that are filled with too much information, too much constant contact, too much interaction, too much noise? How many of you come home sometimes and just feel exhausted in your brain from the overload? You don't want to take one more phone call. It's because your spirit, what God built inside you, is striving. It's desperate for just some peace and some solitude. One of the reasons I love to go up north in Monaco where we've been traveling for many years is that you can get up there and sit on a lake sometimes at night. The stars are way more dramatic up there. The light pollution is much less. But it's quiet. We were out there fishing not too long ago sitting out on the boat and a loon was out in the middle of the lake. And it was dead quiet except for that beautiful call of that loon. It was loud too. Remember remember that? It was right near us. Loud. That beautiful, haunting call of a loon. We strive for that. If Jesus had deep needs to commune with God alone in his flesh, I know we do too. Making that altar in your home gives you that dedicated place. It doesn't have to be a hole in the wall somewhere in the basement, it doesn't have to be some awful place. Maybe there's a spare bedroom. Maybe there's a a den. Maybe there's a little nook in your kitchen like mine. But if you say to the Lord, God, at 7 o'clock in the morning every day of the week, this is my altar to you. And I just want to spend some beautiful, peaceful, quiet time with you. I'm telling you, God will open a window to heaven. And he'll bless you for that place. What a great way to start your day off. Amen? Many people don't have a home altar. I know that. I know this isn't something that's really taught all that often. I remember hearing it for many years in the past. There's books written to it uh, or a special reading place, uh, a place of prayer. Sometimes they just don't think it's that important. Well, they've got church to come to, you know, once a week on Sunday. By the way, midweek matters. They don't know what it looks like. If I said to you, go home, build an altar at home, make sure you do that, they'd probably say, a lot of people would probably just say, wow, I don't, I can't conceptualize that. What does that look like? You mean put a rock in the garden and lay my head on it and pour oil on it the next morning? Pick a place that's quiet and away from all the traffic and the noise. You know what, and clean it up to, sometimes we just get cluttered around with life and you know what clutter does to you? It creates uh, um, aggravation, stress. Clutter and mess really gets to us and it bothers us. Clean that area up really nice. Now, what I like to do is I like to keep my Bible. Sometimes I have my study materials there, pens, highlighters, a notepad. There's been many times when I've been reading something, Go, oh, I've got to write that down. God gave me something. I'd like to turn that into a message. Keep it there with you. Make it your little private cove. Sometimes when we have to use the table for stuff, we scoop it all up and we've got a little shelf nearby and Michel will put it on the shelf uh, for me and we use the table and then later on I come back and put it back there. But have that stuff ready. I have so many times people say to me, I've had people sit in front of me, God doesn't speak to me, I don't hear from God. First question I ask, Anybody? Do you read the word? That's the first question I ask. Are you reading the word consistently? Well, you know, that's why you're not hearing from the Lord. Number one great way to hear from God is read his word consistently every day. Not while you're bored with what I'm preaching. You're looking at the passage I mentioned here in church. Oh, you don't ever notice how the Bible gets really a lot more interesting when you're in church and you're... Read it and hear from God. Obviously, prayer is the next way to hear from the Lord. I think it's very critical, by the way, that we pray prior to reading the word. Sometimes I'll stop and I'll pray in the middle of that process, and then I'll read the word, and I'll finish reading the word, and then I'll pray. But definitely pray, prepare your mind, talk to the Lord, clear the slate, so to speak, before you dive into the word. So if he begins to speak to you, your soul and your spirit is focused on what he's got to say through his word. Amen? All right, I'm wrapping up here so you can stand this evening if you'd like. You can make the area nice. When I said don't carve stones and, you know, make it nice. Ladies, Sister Brown, put a little cup and a flower and, and you know, I know you. You'd have some pretty little flowers from your garden in there and stuff. And, and that's okay. God will be all right with that. When you can't be at your altar... You're in your car, I used to have an hour drive to work every day, I was working at Cisco in Jackson. It was an hour there and an hour back. Some of the most phenomenal prayer time I ever had. Talk to the Lord, pray, I prayed in the spirit halfway up there many times, prayed in the spirit. I don't know if people driving by could tell or thought I was a nut, I don't care. But God would get a hold of me sometimes in those services. Terrible things would be going on up at the plant. I was facing a horrible day. I'd pray all the way there in the spirit, put my hand on the building, and in Jesus' name I'd walk in. Oh, by the way, we got this all fixed. Happened many times. Have your Christian music, a Bible program, maybe if you have on your phone. Use drive time to pray instead of listening to that rotten junk that's coming out of the radio. We've got to get away from all this nonsense that's dragging us down and dominating our brains these days you know the world's going to go where the world's going to go you'll find out you won't be out of you won't be out of the loop trust me you'll get the information but you can take that time and your drive time how about work anybody ever take the time on a lunch break take 10 15 minutes grab your little bible maybe just say a prayer off to the side go for a walk i used to do that as well go outside and sit at the picnic bench You know, you could sit there and eat your lunch, talk to the Lord, read the Bible. Nobody ever messed with me. Nobody ever came out there and hollered at me or threatened me or anything. I just did my thing. It was an altar. And finally, the best altar we have available to us is right here. In the last year and a half with COVID and all this nonsense, I mentioned this the other day at the pulpit, We've still seen wonderful, precious souls receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Didn't happen in the foyer or the hospitality suite or the parking lot. It happened right here. We have a wonderful young couple. They're not here with us tonight, but Lauren and Aaron Brown have a dedicated ministry. They want to work the altars with me. They want to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. They want healings to happen in the up coming months. I'm going to start preaching and talk to you, talking to you about the gifts of the Spirit. We need to see the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church. We need faith built to that place where somebody says, God, I want to desire these gifts that you have and start to see them operate. Well, the miracles can begin to happen at this altar. There's people in our congregation, you know, that have the gift of healing, and they know it. They've experienced it. God has used them for that purpose. And that's going to continue to grow. And those miracles are going to continue to happen at this altar, this one right here. We join together and we make the altar the most important place that we can be in the course of our week and in our homes. The revival, the miracles, the acts of the Spirit, salvation is going to continue to happen. Amen? So, after saying all of that, good night. No, this altar is open. Come down and enjoy the Lord. Talk to him just a little bit and let him talk to you about where to place the altar in your home and in your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177